0: Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. So I want you to picture with me a delivery truck for a pet store, and it's making its way through a town, and, but people began to notice this really bizarre behavior. Like every time he'd come to a stop sign or a stoplight, the driver would get out with a baseball bat. And he'd run to the back of the truck, and he'd just start beating the back of the truck. I mean, just venomously and violently. And he'd jump back in the truck, and he'd take off until he'd get to the next stop sign or stoplight. And again, he'd jump out, just start beating the back of the truck. This would go on and on. And finally, one of, the, one of the people that were trapped behind him, or stuck, if you will, when he jumped out, he got out of his car as well. And he said, sir, I don't get it. As the driver just kept beating the back of the truck. He said, I don't understand. He said, you going got to help me with this. Why do you keep beating the back of your truck? And he said, son, you don't get it takes his back, bats away, and he goes, I'm driving a two-ton truck. And I'm carrying four tons of exotic birds, which means i got to keep at least half of them in the air at all time." Where I'm... <laughs> Do you know, though... I think it's a depiction of a lot of God's people in our world today. They're free in Jesus, but they keep walking around with a bat. Violently and vehemently going through life. Making sure they're keeping things in the air, things afloat. Never getting a chance to do what Jesus said and what he saved them for in the first place. That you might have life and life to the full, life to the joy, but there's so much aggression, isn't there? So many people walking around free in Jesus, yet their gas tank is sucking air. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? Why is it that he carried everything to the cross? And we claim to the fact that we died to that, and yet we keep carrying it around every day of our lives. Why is it that God's people's countenance looks exactly like the people that don't know Him? Stressed, worried, overwhelmed. Pretty much says Jesus didn't do much, did He? Or maybe we're all talk, no walk. Or was so much like this truck driver trying to keep everything afloat, everything in flight, as if somehow it all depends upon us. And yet none of that sounds like Jesus, does it? None of it sounds the way that God had intended life to be. And so if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you, if you would, to go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Now, as you're going there... We're in a series called Playroom. We're talking about where Jesus said, come to heaven as a child. Now, he didn't say that we're supposed to stay as a child in the sense of our maturity. He didn't say that somehow it's this journey and that we can keep justifying and excusing our lives every time we mess up. We simply make ourselves the center of attention, do we not? Well, none of us are perfect, you're right, but we're not supposed to be us, we're supposed to be him. (laughs) Well, we're, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Who said that? That sounds like something we came up with because it's not in the Word of God. We're always justifying ourselves, and we're always making excuses, always in light of, and yet none of that is what God intended. He uses a child as a depiction because if you see a child on the playground, they're not thinking or caring about anything that happened previously Nor are they on the playground discussing what's still to come for the rest of the day. They're just embraced in the moment, completely free to play, to enjoy the way life is supposed to be. Now, you got to help me out a little bit because sometimes when we start this way, you feel a little bit beaten, but you're not supposed to be about the center of attention. We're supposed to be about Him, so I need a little more amen, okay? All right, we serve an awesome God. Let's quit saying it and let's start living it. Amen. That's the way it's supposed to be. Playroom, the way it's supposed to be. Now, again, if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter five, I'm going to begin in the 21st verse. And before we jump in, I just want to, if you will, pray. Father, man, I'm excited about your word. Love it. God, it's so impregnated with everything that we need. God, truly a love letter that was written to us to give us life, life to the full. And Lord, I'm saddened how many times where I've chose something lesser than. God, I pray today would be more than just coming to church. I pray today would be more than just hearing and listening. But as James said, that we become doers of it. It would transform us and change us. For God, that to happen, we're going to need some help. We need you. So we beg of your spirit to move, to fall, and we'd never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone says, amen. 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 Mark chapter 5, beginning in the 21st verse. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So I I don't want you to miss this because I think it's imperative to the story. Jesus was on one side of the lake. He's coming back to the other side of the lake. I've been there. I've seen it. I can literally watch this unfold as I'm speaking this to you. A large crowd of people gather around him. Do not miss this. A large crowd of people gathered around him. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, he came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Again, I think you missed this. It's going to tell us later that he's not just one of the synagogue leaders, this is the synagogue leader. I I have to pause here for a moment because you need to know who Jairus is. I think it's so often missed And we fail to understand the incredible depth to this story. This is one of Jesus' foes, not friend. This is a synagogue leader who hated everything that Jesus taught. Jesus was making him feel like a fool, along with everybody else in the synagogue when it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the top dog. He doesn't know what it's like to fall at someone's feet because, in his role for all of his years, he can command everything and anyone to fall at his feet. He doesn't like Jesus. And you say, Why is he coming to Jesus? I don't know, much like today, 2,000 years later. How many of us in this room, we don't need Jesus? We don't even act like we need Jesus until all of a sudden the doctor says we have cancer till all of a sudden our marriage is in crisis. We don't need Jesus. We don't need change. We just need Jesus to help us when things aren't going the way we want. Let's just call it what it is. This is one of the synagogue leaders. And you say, why is he coming? We're going to find out. He falls at Jesus' feet. Verse 23, he pleaded earnestly... With Jesus, my little daughter's dying. Hmm. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and then she will live. And so Jesus went with him. I love that picture. Jesus knows who he is. I'm guessing that Jesus knew there was great condition upon the very ask that he was asking, but Jesus didn't care. See, I think one of the reasons we struggle in the church is because we don't really understand who God is. God is love. There is no condition to it. Whether you and I would ever believe, he would have died and rose anyway. Because he wasn't looking for us to respond. He died and gave his life because that's what love does. No greater love. I always lay it down. I don't have strings attached. My love is different than your love. God spends no time pointing a finger how we lack in response. God's consumed about who he is and how he loves regardless. It's such a beautiful story. But don't miss who Jairus is. This man has power. I remind you again, there is a crowd. Jairus knows how to quiet a crowd. Jairus knows how to calm a crowd. Because prior to Jesus... Jairus never had to deal with them. This man had power, unbelievable power, but something is about to happen that I think we need to learn in all of our lives. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. I remind you, Jairus is in this crowd. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. How many years? 12. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she got what? Worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And she was right. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. Now, I remind you, the story begins with a synagogue leader. A man who doesn't really care much for what Jesus taught, but he's desperate in a moment, and obviously had seen what Jesus could do. He had spent his life up until this point trying to quiet Jesus. He's one that was trying to get him killed, at least at this point. He's used to getting his way. He's of the elite status. He would fly in first class. This woman we're going to meet now would be considered the outcast. He's hopeful, he knows how to get what he wants. She's hopeless. She's been alone and suffering for 12 years. The crowd is still pressing around Jesus. I remind you, Jairus has a mission. If I can just get Jesus to my daughter. But there's a distraction. And you need to understand that Jairus, who he was, hated women like this. She was considered unclean. No one in the synagogue, especially one of their upper, would even be near such a woman. People like this, you just let them die. He knows what it's like for them to sit outside the temple and beg for mercy, of which he would never give. And now she's keeping Jesus from his daughter, his only daughter a daughter who's 12. Don't miss the story. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and it's been all she'd had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his cloak... I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out. He turned around the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you as disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I just find that interesting. If you like to circle, Jesus kept looking around. I would encourage you to circle that. I think there's something very pointed going on. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told the whole story. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your sufferings. While Jesus was still speaking, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Not one of them, the leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Now watch what happens to the crowd. He did not let any follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. There's no crowd now. Notice who quieted them. Notice who silenced them. Notice who steeled them. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. I wonder how many in the church are laughing too. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kahum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I love what Jesus is going to do. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. I don't know about you, but if there's great wailing going on because a little girl's just died and then she's going to walk out of the house... We're not supposed to tell anyone. (laughs) But look what he does. And he told them, give her something to eat. Some people stop and go, why would he say that? The raising of death when it comes to our God is just breathing to you and I. It's a dramatic moment, isn't it? A little girl's dead. He raises her to life and then says, give her something to eat. I only believe it's in there because of this. God still cares about even the littlest things in your life. Nothing escapes him. He cares about everything in your life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you to take out your notes If I was going to call this a message, I would call it play or pay. You're either going to play out in your life the way God had purposed and planned, or you're going to pay up for a lot of needless living. You're going to pay up for a lot of baseball bat moments where you keep beating against life, trying to keep things afloat juggling, trying to keep things in the air that you don't need to be juggling and somehow it depends upon you and it doesn't. And while all that's happening, I remind you, people are still dying and going to hell and God's church is supposed to be making a difference about that. And if there's anything that I'm seeing right now in the church is we're still living more for the world than we are in the word. We're acting still more like people who aren't saved even though we claim to be saved. There's work to be done. People need Jesus. I don't know what you were thinking and what was going through your mind, but when I was backstage watching the picture of these construction workers, I had tears running down my cheeks. Because these people matter to Jesus and he knows them by name. I'm not saying they don't know the Lord, but I'm guessing that some probably don't. And what are we doing about it? Is is still church based on what you think it is? How it's supposed to be? Your comfort, your woe? Or have you really died to yourself and are you taking on the life of Christ? Because you can't have both. Our world desperately needs the church to come alive. God's people. That play out their lives like a child in a playground rather than paying up for needless living. And so as we wrap this up, I want you to think about, from this story, there are three steps that I believe that we need to take if we're really going to have a full tank, not an empty one. That we're going to go through life breathing the Holy Spirit in out rather than sucking air, trying to just get through. Life is not about survival. It's about to be lived and to the full. Amen to that? And so here's the first step that I believe if we're going to play and not pay, you've got to get fed up. You've got to get fed up with the way that life's been or you will continue to freak out in the way it still is. You've got to get fed up. Like your marriage isn't going to change until you're fed up with the way it's been and believing that God has more than can ever be. You're never going to experience the fullness of the Spirit until you get fed up with the way the world is and recognize that the world needs Jesus. Now listen, there's a lot of people fed up, and I'll come back to this in a moment. But what they did with it was all wrong. But you've got to get fed up. See, I just think there's so many people that still play church, but I'm not sure they know Christ because they still have one foot in, one foot out, one foot in, one foot out, and they shake it all about, and they do You know what I'm talking about? It's just true. I told you a long time ago there was a death about the guy, the guy who wrote the Hokey Pokey, and at his funeral, it was an open casket, and he had one foot in and one foot in. Okay, all right. Anyway. (laughs) But we all know the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't? Okay, why do we say it when we don't believe it? The horse is only going to drink when the horse is what? Thirsty. Thirsty. And what did Jesus say? Those who hunger and thirst, they will be satisfied. Can't have two gods, people. you got to get fed up. I can rant and rave all day long. I can keep doing what I'm doing, but nothing changes until change is really wanted. Nothing changes until it's really wanted. You know what the problem is? It's really one, one word. you know what the word is? Fear. Do you know why we run the way we do? Fear. Do you know why our relationships are in the stat or the status that they are? Fear. Do you know why we abandon truth and try to think that somehow we can manage ourselves and then we think we can define who God is and how he has to be? Fear. It's all fear. FOMO. Fear of missing out. fee. The fear of not fitting in. Fove. Fear of failure. FOGE. Fear of rejection, was. the fear that I'll come up with another one, okay? <laughs> but the problem's fear. Well, I better move in with her, I better move in with him because he might leave me or she might leave me. Everybody look up here. If that's true, let me help you with something. Say ya later. (laughs) Because if you play that out up front, you'll pay for it in the end. Some of you go, I just don't believe it. That's right, because you don't believe the word of God. I got another truth. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and that's the problem in the American church right now. Well, pastor, we just can't give. Why? Why? The fear of not having enough. And yet Jesus says, you know, the one who died for us, why do you worry about what you have, what you shall eat, what you shall wear? Does not your heavenly Father care more than the birds of the air? Than the grass of the fields? And you know what the church's answer is? No! So I got I to hold on myself! And everything you clutch the moment you breathe your last, because I'm still going to say it, the death rate is still hovering at 100%, people. (laughs) (sighs) And in Christ, you could determine where it would go. But you did this, and now someone else will. It's all this fear. This unbelievable fear. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, fear disables. It disables. And did you know that more than 30%, 30%, one-third of the U.S. adults struggle with fear. One-third. Well, listen to the words of Lloyd Douglas. If a person harbors any sort of fear... It percolates through all of their thinking, damaging their personality, making them a landlord to a ghost. Fear is a fabrication of your life. But it's our downfall, as I said last week, at the absence of his windfall. Try to imagine being the synagogue leader had risen to unbelievable status, and he has one child. How often he, he played with her, walked her to school. She bebopped in the house, his only little girl, but she starts to get sick. She's dying. Imagine the fear. But that fear was a beautiful thing. Because somewhere in Jairus' mind, he had to realize, I can't control this anymore. And it might be better that I let go of my girl's hand. Because I'm so fed up, I can't do this anymore. I'm so full of anger of who Jesus and what he's done and how he makes me look bad. And I might need to let go of my little girl's hand So I can go find the master's hand. Can't have both. You can't have both. Paul wrote, I've tried everything and nothing helped. I'm at the end of my rope. It's one of the most beautiful things that can happen. I know some of you don't want to hear this. But even as your pastor, sometimes I pray that you might lose it all. Until you realize you had nothing to lose. That in Him, you gain it all. Amen. Amen. What if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What a, sad, what a sad epitaph of how many rocks oversee graves of the forgotten. And I wonder how many in those rocks never experience life the way they were supposed to. Jesus wrote, God blesses those who realize their need for him and of him. Amen? So if you want to stay fueled up, if you want to have a tank that's full, if you want to experience life, the playroom, the way that God intended, you first have to take the step of getting, I'm fed up. I'll let go. I'm tired of trying to do it. But it's imperative here, step two, that you now faith up, or you will continue to have fear within. See, I've heard people say, "I've tried Jesus." Do you know what the word "try" is? That's one foot in and one foot out. Jesus never asked us to try anything. He asked us to turn from everything. He's not a God to try. He's a God who does. He's a God of fact, not a God of doubt. He's a God that is, not just a God who was. He's a really a good God. By the way, this is what I call that come to Papa moment. (laughs) Notice, come to Papa. I just wonder if Jesus... Got out of the boat and he saw Jairus coming, he's like, Man, come to Papa. Of course, he was getting out of a boat, so it's probably more like come to Papa, you know, (laughs) you know. But I love this. He doesn't say, and I'm not encouraging you, I didn't say come to church, come to religion, come to rules, come to rituals, come to regulations. I'm talking about coming to Jesus completely. Fully fed up. Think about this. All that Jairus had known up to this point. And imagine the fear as he's watching his little girl fighting for life. He hadn't prayed to God. Because if you understood how... From the Garden of Eden by the time the church starts and when the Levites get into motion and they become the priest, through all of the years they had taught rules and regulations and rituals. You need to understand that the synagogue leaders thought they were God. And my little girl's dying and I can't do a thing about it. And the man that I have been doing everything I can to destroy What if he is the God? And he's caught between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? But praise God, he chose the rock, not the hard place. He found the rock. He didn't stay in the hard place. How about you? You see, wherever you are right now, you don't have to stay there. That's a choice that you make. Your marriage is the way it is because of a choice you make. Your life and what you're going through is the way it is because of a choice you make. The rock's over here saying, but I came that you might have life. But you're going to have to get fed up. You're going to have to let go. See, it's one thing to get fed up, isn't it? But it's another to go to the right place and to faith up. See, I know a lot of people who are tired of the way things are, but they're not willing to turn to the right thing and the way things could be. So they're tired, and so they keep one foot in, holding on to the hand, going, well, maybe if I'll try Jesus. Jesus. And Papa's saying, come. But like Peter in the boat, you can put one foot out in the water, but you got one foot into the boat. Why? Because the boat is what I've known. But faith says, but I'm going to have to trust what I don't know. Do I get out of the boat? Do I get out? Peter did. And the rest of the disciples watched. Because it was safer in the boat than out where Jesus was. I don't know about you. I'd rather be out in the unknown with Jesus than in the boat without him. Faith and up. Again, I know a lot of people are freaking out because they're not truly fed up. But when they get fed up, they keep running to the wrong thing. They put their faith in the wrong thing. Look at 1 John 4 says, this is from the message. God is what? Come on, God is what? And when we take up, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, notice the right thing, God's love. When we take up a permanent residence in a life of God's love, we live in God and God lives in us. Watch this. This way, love has the run of the house and matures in us. Remember, we don't have to grow to know. We know and we grow. It matures in us. So that we're free of what? Fear. We're free of what? Fear. There is no room in love for God's love for fear. A well-formed love banishes all fear. See, nothing changes until we get sick and tired, right? But unless we take up the right thing we faith up, any change we make will be shortchanged. Every time. I don't know if you know who Carrie Underwood is. She's she's had a couple hits. Singer. (laughs) Anyway. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Because I can't do this on my own. No one can. No one can. No one can. And so here we are. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. I wonder what went through Jairus' mind. Really. You wonder if he had a thought. I have a 12 year old daughter just starting life. Who are you, old lady? Bet you had more lives than my daughter. This isn't fair. And if you wouldn't have shown up, Jesus was coming with me and you got in the way. I just wonder if that went through. But pastor, I tried, again, he ain't interested in you trying, he's interested in you turning. I tried that Jesus thing, and I always say, you never tried it at all, because if you try it, you'll get satisfied. But maybe the try was the problem. You might want to write this down, because see, I, I don't think the woman was an accident. And I don't think it was Jesus, okay, who in the moment, who touched me, I think he's waiting for something. Because I want you to catch this. Some things have to die before you discover what it means to really live. I wonder if Jesus is buying time. He knows the word's coming. And it comes. And the moment it does, he silences the crowd. Like he's perfectly fine with the crowd being there until word on the street she's dead and he won't let the crowd follow anymore. He removes the clouds and the doubts and the questions. And and I just wonder in the church today that too many of, quote, God's people don't want to die to self so they can experience life They want just a little healing of God to make their life a little bit better. And yet in the Bible, it says over and over, Jesus healed people, gave them sight, gave them legs, gave them voice. And yet the Bible says they still didn't believe. Maybe that's what we really are asking in the church. We don't want a God to run our lives. Just give me a little God so I can keep carrying on with my life. Some things have to die. See, I think God loves Jairus. And I think of all the interactions, God's wanting to show him something that would change his life forever. Because Jesus see I think Jairus is going do you know who I am and Jesus do you know who she is and I think Jesus is listening to no one else and saying but you know who I am look what the Bible says verse 36 but Jesus overheard them Jesus overheard them and he says to Jairus and I think he's saying it to every one of us fear not just believe fear not get fed up And just believe, let's faith up. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 for having faith is being confident of what we hope for and convinced about things we do not see. It's a crisis moment. Jairus could have walked away, could he have not? And how many who came to the church did the same thing? He didn't come to die to self. You came for a little piece of the resurrection for you. And I think this is an amazing moment. Look what faith is. Jairus, don't lose your confidence. You know why you came to me. And I want you to be convinced that I am God. I heard it said that faith is the only soil in which a seed of hope can grow. If Jairus doesn't get this, his daughter dies. But he steps out of his fears and into God's faith, she lives. By the way, here's what I love about this story, and I think this is good news for all of us. Throughout the Bible, all kinds of people came with all kinds of stuff to Jesus. Is that fair? I mean, we're talking people who came for legitimate needs. We know people that came for selfish needs, right? People that came for a word of encouragement, and some people came just to criticize. Are you ready for this? Jesus doesn't care. This is good news for the church today. Jesus doesn't care how you come. Jesus doesn't care why you come. You know what Jesus cares about? That you do come. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a rip. And yet too often, the church is trying to clean people up before they come in. I'm just glad they come. I don't care if they're a punk. I don't care if they're drunk. I'm just glad they're here. And that's all Jesus cares about. You know why? Because Jesus knows when you get to Jesus, everything changes. Like, like what they're looking for, they don't even know what they're looking for. He just knows when you get to Him, mm-hmm. come to Papa. It's going to be awesome. You know what John 6 says? Whoever comes, read it with me. I will. Whoever comes, what? Say it again. Whoever comes, what? I I will never reject. So, first, we need to get fed up, or we're going to keep freaking out. But then we need to faith up, come to Jesus, and we're going to watch our fears die. But here's the final one when we do these, we will ultimately be freed up and never be fueled out again. See, the first week of our series, I read from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforth rhythms of my grace. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely, lightly, Tank full, no longer empty. In the New American Translation, it reads this way Take up my yoke. I want to show you what a yoke is. This is going to be revolutionary, I think, if you get this. I'm asking them to bring it out if they would. I want you to see this. Just come right, stand over here. This is a yoke. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about because this was a big part of Jesus' day. Let me tell you about a yoke. As you look at this, it's a piece of wood where two are bound together, bound together to pull. And the incredible insight is you'll be able to do more within it than you'll ever think you can do without it. You can always pull more than the sum of the two. It takes away your independence and makes it impossible. it's the power of being yoked, it lightens loads and increases the ability to do so much more. But I want you to get two symbols of being yoked. First of all, it symbolizes control. Are you ready for this? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which means that Jesus is already in it. And do you know why he says, take my yoke? Because when you put your, you ready for this? When you put your head in it, it helps you to keep pace. Because we all need a pace setter. See, that's why Paul wrote these words, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Whatever you're yoked to, you will keep pace with. Which means here's the problem with a lot of people who call themselves followers of Jesus. You're yoked, but it isn't Jesus that's in the yoke. It's the world. It's your marriage. It's your kids. And that's why you're tired. That's why you're overwhelmed. That's why you're stressed out. If you're feeling that right now, I want you to listen to this, and I'm not saying this to be mean. You're not yoked to Jesus. You're just not. The yoke is about control. See, there's two great causes of an overloaded life, of a tank that's empty. It's called aggression and arrogance. Aggression because we don't want to wait. And arrogance because we think we don't have to. We love God so much, don't we? It's green! Why, why don't we go? I don't give a rip about your life and what you're doing. Do you know what I got going on? How dare you, little old lady, get in the way? Of the healing of my little girl. You're not yoked. God knows the pace we need to walk to. Amen to that? Not us. I want it all. Arrogance. I want it all. Arrogance. I want it all. Arrogance. And I want it. (laughs) Aggression. A yoke symbolizes control, but here's number two. It symbolizes community. Paul wrote, pow your troubles on God's shoulders. Pow your troubles on whose shoulders? Now let me ask you, who has a stronger back? You or God? Then why are you carrying around needless weight? See, if I asked Reed to put this on without Tim, you'd all be going, oh, whoa, ho, ho. But the moment they put it on together, it's actually pretty light. It's amazing how it works. See, I'll say it again, if you're you're feeling overwhelmed, you're not yoked in the right community and you're probably not yoked in this community because a relationship here and a relationship here with God's people is absolutely essential. This is why I wake up reporting for duty. This is why I walk it out in prayer. And this is why I read the Bible before I ever consider going to work. Because the work has nothing to offer me but temporal happiness. I want eternal joy. I start with the one who gave me the day. I don't beg for him to bail me out when I'm going through it. He said, "This is catch this. I don't wait until my gas tank needle is empty. I wait on God and my tank is always full. By the way, if I'm not dieting here, I'm dying here. I need others in my life. That's what I love about the church. And I sure wish God's people would quit coming, seeing what they get, and start yoking up with others and saying, I'll always be here with you and you can count on me. Amen. I'm going to ask if you guys just lay that down here in the ground, if you would. I'm going to ask the team to come out. I want to close with a cute little story, but I want you to listen to it very carefully. I think we're often like the little boy who, whose father told him to go pick up a heavy rock and to move it out of the way. So the boy did, because he wanted to impress his father. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, but he couldn't move it. Daddy, he said, I can't lift the rock. His daddy didn't even wait, but replied quickly, yes, you can, my son. Yes, you can. Move the rock. The boy, not wanting to fail his daddy, Went back and tried it again, but it wouldn't budge. Daddy, I can't do it. I can't lift it. Yes, you can, said his dad. He tried again. Same result. Daddy, Daddy, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, you can, my son. You're not using all your strength. This went on, as you can imagine, several more times. Finally, the boy insisted he was using all of his strength and he couldn't move it. Finally, his father put his arm around him and said, son, you don't understand. You're not using all your strength. You didn't ask me. I just wonder... I want to see my daughter live, same as a dad, I want my girls to live, not physically, spiritually. What good if they have successes that the world applauds this side of heaven, but they die and go to hell? That's no life. And yet it seems so many of us chase it. I'm just asking as a parent. What is your real heart success for your children? Be honest. God knows it. Would it bother you if they graduated last in their class? You're so much better than that. But then 30 years from now, God revealed the plan that he was going to make them the next Billy Graham. I want my kids to do the best they can, but what I've discovered is my best for my kids is so little of his worst for my kids. I don't want my kids to have my best, I want my kids to have his. Which is easier said than done, people. Because then you sit here and go, well, what does it mean to be a parent then? Well, I'm going to tell you this. You'll never find out if you don't spend time with the one who made you a parent. If you don't focus there. See, my kids, more than anything else, need to see me in the Word of God. They need to see me growing in relationship with my God. Need to so that I pray more than anything else. They don't need anything else. That's the best I can offer them. And then to love them as God loves me regardless. Something beautiful happened that day. I don't think that Jairus spent too much time I posed this as a possibility. I don't think he spent too much time about this lady. She had suffered for 12 years. He had a 12-year-old daughter who was now suffering. Both of them needed Jesus. And both of them are there. And obviously that day, Jairus, regardless of all the distractions, wasn't going to let go of the master's hand. And Jesus spoke into his greatest fear. We never hear about Jairus again in the Bible. It's very interesting. I wonder if he got removed from the synagogue as not only a leader, but as one of the priests. I don't think he really cared. Because something happened that day that changed his life. And it wasn't just that his little girl. Would we'll be able to live a little bit longer because the fact of the matter, she's dead today. But I think it's safe to say both of them are living together forever. Something happened in that moment. Are you really fed up? Are you ready to really faith up? Because see, that's the church I want to be. I don't want to play church. I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't want to be a church that that plays out the way people think it's supposed to. It would be no fun if all of a sudden we just designed the music the way you'd want. Okay, great, so that's all about you, but boy we love God. I wish that we could design it in a way that would be the length that you would want. When do we stop and get fed up and say, listen, our world doesn't need church of a place that we come and it's the way I want it to be. The world needs God's people to die to themselves and that the church would come within them and they'd go out into a world and lift up the light of Jesus. Nothing is more important than that, people. What are we afraid of? You ready to die to it? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not against you. He's for you. But you gotta die so he can resurrect the beauty of what he'd purposed and planned from the very beginning. And give us a heart that can never really be broken that we understand. Father, I don't know where people are at right now. I know we need you, not church, not ritual, not rules, not regulations, not religion, We need you. But God, to truly yoke ourselves up to you, to faith up. God, that we don't have to know it all, but we put ourselves in the midst of you, are tying ourselves to you. Knowing that when we start pushing, you're not going to keep up with us, we're going to keep up with you. You're not going to let us go, you're not going to fail us, you're not going to let us drown. You're an amazing God. You're an awesome God. You love everybody here in an amazing way. And you long for us to get so fed up we're willing to let go of everything we've known to come looking for you. And what's crazy is that you're already on your way to us. We may not understand things that go the way they go, but oh well, you won't fail us. You can. You won't deny us. You can. not You love us. You love us. And you can bring a healing, a hope like never before. God, I pray that everybody here is saying, I want to play. I don't want to pay. You already paid that debt so I could experience life to the full well thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages and if you like what you're hearing consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends it helps so much you know you can click the share button take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at celebrate church For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.